All right. Joshua chapter 9. We came off a great success with the nation of Israel as they've defeated Ai after they did what they needed to do. They took care of the sin in the camp. They had problems. Um, they tried to go after Ai, the city. It was a small town of 12,000. They thought they'd just take a couple thousand guys with them and go take care of it real quick. But they had sin in the camp. Um, God did want to defeat Ai, but he wanted Israel to take care of something in their life first. And then they could go and go ahead and fight their enemies. And so um, they learned. Um, they learned they needed to seek the Lord and not just be presumptuous about the Lord always being with them and giving them victory and everything all the time, anytime. But that they needed to wait on the Lord and hear from the Lord. If they had prayed, if they had waited, they'd been told, hey, you got sin in the camp. And there wouldn't have been any loss of life that first time through with Ai. So they've learned. Now, uh, they had the victory, but we run into a different situation with the Gibeonites. They're a group of people that are kind of sneaky. Um, and they're going to pretend to be somebody that they're not so that they don't get defeated by Israel. It begins in verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, uh, in the hills and in the lowlands and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, uh, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. That's the gang. Um, and now these Gibeonites I just mentioned, they're Hivites, okay? So they're, I know there's a couple ites there, but they're within the Hivite clan there. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all their bread for their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, to the camp of Gilgal, and said to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. So these guys are being tricky. Um, they've dressed themselves up to look like they're far away. What I find interesting about this first section, but before you hit verse 7, is that they know a lot about the plan. And these are guys that aren't walking with the Lord. They don't know, but they've seen a couple things. They've seen some defeats and all, but they know the boundaries. They know where God is going to let Israel have victory and where they're not to the point where they can say, we're just outside of your boundaries that God's going to give you. They know that. Um, our enemies know where we're supposed to be and where we're not supposed to be. Our enemies being spiritual speak, speaking spiritually. Satan knows what's okay and what's not okay. He knows the word of God better than I do, probably, um, and better than you do. And he knows how to twist it. In fact, that's what he uses when he uh, tries to tempt Jesus. Um, and uh, that's what he does with Eve as well in the garden. That's what he does with us. Um, and that's what these guys are doing. We know your boundaries. You know what God's allowed you to do and what he hasn't. So we're going to try to trick you into being disobedient to the rules by lying to you about the outcome and where we are, where we're from. And that's what our enemy does. He lies to us. He tells us, it's not going to be that bad. Or did God really say? Or don't you know what God's word says about that? That You're not going to dash your foot upon the stone. The angels are going to protect you. Jesus, don't worry about it. And we need to know better than him. And we need to identify that and see that. And so these folks do the best they can to be sneaky. Now they are with this, this group of five, but they're not real excited. And this is going to come into play in chapter 10, which we won't get to today. But they're not real excited about all jumping in with this group to go against Israel. They don't think, obviously, that they can win. Now, the reason these five uh, groups of people are coming together is they think Israel's going to come through and pick us off one at a time. So if we band together like a temporary treaty and fight them at once, maybe we'll all survive this thing. And the Hittites or the Hivites say, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And then they say, hey, we've got to get out of this. They're not going to win. 
And so they come up with this plan. I mean, that's what's inferred here. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been by themselves and tricking. They've all five gone and tried to trick them. But these guys are doing it. Um, and so later on in chapter 10, these, these guys are going to come after this, these Gibeonites, um, for being deceitful here to them also. So that's a different story. Verse 7. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, after they've given them their big spiel about how they're from a faraway country and they've been traveling a long time, perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? And I pause on that because that's a very important moment in the elders' lives and in the nation of Israel's lives because they had a check in their spirit. That's where that came from. Why would they stop? Why would they think that? If they're thinking, you know, where did that come from? Where did that idea come from? That's the Lord speaking to them. Uh, Slow down. Be careful. We call it a check. A check in our spirit. In baseball, you've got, you check the guy at first base. He's made a, a base hit. The pitcher's there. He's ready to pitch. He gives that over-the-shoulder look at the first baseman, and he might even fake a throw or actually throw it just to keep that first base runner from trying to lead off too far and take advantage of the opportunity and try to steal second base. He'll check him. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does for these guys. He gives them a check in their spirit, and they actually say it out loud. Okay, yeah, good story, but perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? We don't know that for a fact. How can they know? It's a good question. How can we know? They know what to do, don't they? What are they supposed to do, anybody? Pray. You ask God. You ask God. How do we know? Well, we'll talk to God about it. They're supposed to inquire of the Lord. Guys, as Christians, hopefully we know that. You're supposed to inquire of the Lord. How can I possibly know if this is the right decision? Pray. That's the first thing we ought to learn as Christians. We seek the Lord. We find out. That check in their spirit gave them and caused them to pause and ask the question without just flippantly saying, yeah, sure, whatever. Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? How do we know that? Perhaps. Find out. They don't. God speaks to us in many different ways, and I get that question a lot. As you said, Pastor, that the Holy Spirit led you. What do you mean he led you? What do you mean? Well, I've got eight things, eight ways that God can lead you, all right? First one is like an inner knowing. It's like an inner knowing. I'll give you a scripture, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Turn there, if you will. Romans 8, 16. He says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit and we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And he goes on to describe it. The spirit bears witness of himself. You just, you just get that sense. You know it. It's an inner knowing. How do you know? I don't know. I just know. I just know the spirit's giving me a real peace about it. Or there's just this obvious, I know what to do. Okay. There's that inner knowing. The second one is the word. God will use God's word by the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us. Um, and that's like this. Suppose you've had your quiet time for the morning, which you should have every morning or in the evening or sometime read your Bible. Um, and God will take that word that you read that morning or something you've read in the past and you'll come in contact with a situation where you must make a decision and God will bring a scripture to your mind. Maybe something you read that morning that didn't make sense then, but it sure makes sense now that you're in that situation to make a, a choice. And he'll bring that scripture and remind you of that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He reminds us and leads us and guides us into all truth brings to remembrance the things that Jesus said, and he'll do that. So he'll use the word that way. Another way is leading. He'll lead us 
If you chose to keep chapter, uh, chapter 8 of Romans in, in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You don't want to be a follower of the Holy, or a, a, a one who leads the Holy Spirit. You want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I, I like to pause on this and spend some time on the Holy Spirit. That's what I just taught at the conference um, yesterday. Um, because there's a difference between knowing that there is a Holy Spirit, knowing the scriptures about the Holy Spirit, teaching other people about the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between all that and walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit's a whole different animal. It's different. You have, and let me break this open for you, you have a supernatural walk with the living God. We are not a philosophy. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a, it's not a, a thing. It's not a list. The rest of the world, all other religions have a picture of whoever it was that they followed or whoever it is that wrote whatever they wrote. And they try to emulate that. They try to follow that. They try to be like that person, how they live. So they read historical facts about that person. They try to do what they do. There's nothing living about that. It's just, you're just trying to imitate. And a lot of people think their Christianity is that way. And we do say it sometimes. We're going to imitate Christ, but it's so much more. It's so much more. We don't have a picture. We have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, literally dwells inside of you if you're born again. He sealed you. But you also get baptized with the Holy Spirit to where he can then use his power through you to do these. It's a supernatural walk. Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe it's never been taught to you before. It's very biblical. Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. And then he said before he ascended, after breathing on them, wait in Jerusalem until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So you have power to serve me. And that doesn't happen until Acts chapter 2. And they waited in the upper room. And they prayed and they sought the Lord and they waited for that. He says, I don't want you doing any ministry. I don't want you stepping out and talking to anybody about me until you've been baptized with power from on high. It's a living, real thing. And a lot of people don't have that. A lot of Christians don't understand that. They've never been to that place where God has filled them with the Holy Spirit so much so that they have to ask him to stop. This is too much. It's overwhelming. I can't handle it anymore. Just quit. It's too much joy. It's too much, too many tears. I don't have anything left. It's just overwhelming me. Stop, God. I'm overflowing. If you've never had that, you need to ask for God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to baptize you. You need it. And we need it often, not just a one-time thing. Some people say it's a one-time thing. What did God do? Leak out? Yeah, he absolutely leaks out. Throughout the book of Acts, after Acts chapter 2, these same disciples get filled again and again and again and again because they need it, because we operate by the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're operating, guys, in your own strength. And it'll take you so far. It'll get you to that point. But when you come to the end of your strength, you will crash. You will fall into depression. You will lose. You will wonder where in the world I am. You'll feel lost and you can't figure life out. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, one of the ways he does that is by leading us. Um, we're compelled. There's something about it. I've got to be obedient to this. God wants me to do this thing. That's a, it's a yes and you don't know why. It's a direction and you're not sure. But you're going to do it anyway because you know it's the Holy Spirit. So you go. Another way he does it is through dreams. Not every dream a lot of dreams come from pizza and ice cream and, and, and who knows what weird thing happens. But our bodies have dreams, but it's more like a defrag on your computer, which I don't think we do anymore. But there's a defragging that used to need to take place on our hard drives because everything throughout the, 
day get all scattered and all that. And what the computer does is it shuts down and it pulls out the unnecessary, throws away the stuff it doesn't, and then categorizes the way it should be so it's easier to find next, the next time you're here. If you've ever seen that pie chart in your computer, there's little fragments. It's all over the place. And when you're done defragging, all the greens over here, all the reds over here, all the yellows over here, it's a wonderful thing. And your computer just works so much faster. That's your brain. And so you saw that guy named Bob from high school at Walmart. And you looked at him and you avoided him and you went down the other aisle. Okay. Then you saw that lady over there with the weirdest hair you've ever seen. And you can't get that out of your mind. And there she is. And then later on that afternoon, you had to get a snake out of the basement. And your brain will make a nice dream for you out of that. Here comes Bob with the craziest hair you've ever seen, holding a snake or something, you know, and you're like, oh my goodness, those are not from God. That's just your brain defragging. You can throw that out. And you'll forget those things. Or you'll have a dream. You're like, did you dream? Did you have a good dream last night? I did. What was it? I don't have a clue. I don't really know. You'll forget it. Not from God. These dreams are vivid that come from God. And they make sense. Not Bob with the weird hairdo with a snake around his neck, okay? It, they make sense. And it's, just, it's telling you. He's telling you. The Holy Spirit's leading you. He'll speak to you in dreams. Um, they're vivid. The next one is there's a check in your spirit. We've just gone over that. You just get, and that's a stop. We talked about being led by the spirit. That's a go. That's like a compelling. I got to do this. There's a check in your spirit. That's a, mm, wait a minute. How come? What's the deal? Well, I don't know what the deal is. I just have this feeling I shouldn't. I don't know what it is. It's a stop. And the Holy Spirit will do that for you. And you got to pay attention to those things. These guys need to pay attention to that check in their spirit. And it takes practice because you won't get it right every time, but learn to pay attention to those things. That check, that intuition, we call it, that gut feeling, whatever it is that you call it, that's the Lord saying, "Mm -mm, wait, 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 seek me, seek me on this. Another way he can do it is through prophecies. Now, there is no other new prophecy about Jesus or the end times or anything, but sometimes there's personal prophecies from people. You have a prophet in your midst. You have someone who has the gift of prophecy. You can read about that in Corinthians. But they may have that prophecy. Now, be wary of the funds that say, I have this prophecy, and maybe this person has been trying to tell you all along, you need to move closer to them. I love you, and I'd love you to be my neighbor. And all of a sudden, they have a prophecy. God showed me last night you're supposed to buy this house across the street. It's the Lord. Eh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I love you too, but that's not necessarily prophecy. Prophecy is more like, more like, I don't know why God wants me to tell you this. Um, I don't know your situation, but he just wants me to relay this to you. Be careful about your next move, whatever that is. Just be careful about your next move. And you may have been praying, God, speak to me. I don't know about this move. It could be a job move. It could be a, a whatever kind of move. Be careful. Watch it. Um, and he gives that to you. That's a prophecy. You could do that also. Another way is uh, a quickening. You'll be reading through the scriptures. You'll be having this time, and you'll be like, oh, now, verse 10. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, you heard how Joshua had taken Aiah and utterly destroyed it. That's how it feels when you read it. You don't care about Adonai Zedekiah. You don't know about the story and everything. But the only thing that jumped off the page at you was this utterly destroy. You know? And you and your wife have been talking about cutting back on the internet because it gets you into trouble. And you don't really need it that much. So you're thinking about reducing your plan. You're not sure about it. You've been praying. So you're having your quiet time together and both of you are reading. All of a sudden, God says, utterly destroy, you know. And I think I know what I'm supposed to do. You know, it quickens. It's a quickening. The, the verse just pops off the page, almost out of context sometimes. I don't, I don't go by that. That may happen to me, but I don't, that's not like the only thing. God says, utterly destroy. So I look around for something to destroy. No, 
No, you get confirmation from other things. I always try to get two or three of these things. You know, some, someone inevitably utterly destroyed, and then you'll turn on the radio, Christian radio, and someone will be singing a song, and I utterly destroyed him. And you're like, oh, wow, it's everywhere, you know? And you kind of know. That's not really a song. That'd be, really, that'd be a really weird song, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of snappy. Utterly destroyed. All right. That's one of the ways. A quickening. Visions. Those are like dreams, but you're awake. You'd be sitting there, minding your own business, and all of a sudden... Well, man, you can just see it, clear as a bell. The answer's there. It's just, it's been confusing. It's been clouded. It's been obscured. You don't know how. You've got 12,000 different ideas, and all of a sudden it just goes, boom, this is it. It's a vision. Doesn't happen very often, but it happens. Um, I would say quickenings. I would say inner knowings. I would say the word um, leadings. I think those are the most, checks in your spirit, those are the most that I've experienced anyway, but hey, prophecies, dreams, and visions are very much possible. God speaks to you. All right. They had a check in their spirit. Verse eight. But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you? and Where do you come from? So they said to him from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two Kings of the Amorites, uh, who were beyond the Jordan, uh, to Sion, King of Heshbon, to Og, King of Bashan, who was at Ashroth. Um, Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. So we've been sent to do this by our people. And then they start pointing this out. This bread of ours, we took hot from our provision from our houses on the day that we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which were filled were new. And see, they are torn. I'm reading it like that because who can't see through this? I mean, this is kind of obvious. And then look at our garments. They're all full of holes like they're supposed to. And our shoes, they're not new. I mean, if we lived over the hill, they'd be new. Well, we don't live over the hill. They're holy and patched. We're from afar. I mean, part of me is like, really, Joshua? I'm not impressed here, buddy. But, it, you know, it can happen to us. If, if we want it to be true, we can be pretty stupid sometimes. Remember how many people you've dated? Don't think of them now. Pray for them. But all the dumb things you believe that came out of their mouths sometimes, you're like, I just, but I love them so much. They're just so sincere, you know? <laughs> They don't like you at all. They just want to use you. And you found that out the hard way, you know? And you saw it in hindsight's 2020. We say that all the time, right? It was probably 2020 when it was right in front of us too. We just didn't want to believe it. And so Joshua buys this thing. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions. Look at this. But they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. They know they were supposed to. That's why they wrote that down. That's the one thing that would have protected us if we'd seen the counsel of the Lord and taken, I have to add this, and taken the counsel of the Lord. God will never fail to give us counsel. If we ask for it, he always, if we ask for wisdom, he abundantly blesses us with wisdom. But a lot of times, it's not the answer we want and we don't want to hear it because we know what we want, we know what we need, and we're going to do what we want to do anyway. We're looking for confirmation not something that's going to come against us. If it comes against us, just not sure about that then. I don't think that's God. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. These guys didn't even ask because they took some of the bread. Yeah, it is moldy. These guys must be okay. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them, 
Why did they want to believe it? That's the question I ask. Because I'm reading this, I'm like, everybody, everybody reading this can see through it. Now, maybe that's because we know how this turns out, maybe. But even the way it's written, if someone came up to you and acted like that with you, can't you see, obviously, we're from a far country. You can, I don't know. I think, personally, this is the first time everybody, anybody's ever, another nation's ever shown them respect. We want to be a treaty. We want to be aligned with you. We've heard how mighty you are. We've heard how great you are and what your God can do. We don't want to be on the wrong side of that. Would you make a treaty with us? Well, yes, we will. It's kind of nice. At the conference, the guy was t- the, uh, the one who was teaching said, it was kind of interesting when I got asked to teach at the senior pastor's conference. I mean, that's kind of every pastor's dream, getting that call here in Missouri. Hey, J.D., we just need your teaching. We just know God has a word from the Lord for all of us. We'd like to come out in the International Senior Pastors Conference. We'd like for you to teach the first session. Well, it's about time, you know. <laughs> you figured this out. Everybody in Maryville knows I'm awesome. It's about time you do too. It's hard not to be flattered by that. I just wonder if there wasn't a little bit of that going on. It doesn't say that. They were awfully quick to just discount that check in their spirit, though. They've had checks in their spirit before. They've gotten in trouble when they didn't pay attention. They learned their lesson at AI. You'd think right after that, they'd have been a little bit more alert to spiritual things. 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us as Christians, as believers, to not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. It's a warning. We usually use that for marriage, but that can be in anything. That can be in business or being a church. You're visiting churches and you find out that, honestly, they're not really led of the Spirit. They're not really following the ways of the Lord. They're not reading their word. You can be unequally yoked there. You got to be careful about that. Um, you always want to be a Berean and here's what taught, here's what, here, hear what is taught and then check it out to make sure that what's, what's being taught is true. Likewise, if you're dating somebody, are they a believer? No, but they're going to be. Ah, be careful. Be careful. There's many a women who've wished they had paid attention to that check in their spirit 20 years into their marriage and they're still praying for their lost husband who doesn't do anything but watch football on Sundays and drink beer. And they're wishing they'd listened and paid attention. And now it becomes their cross to bear and their long suffering. And it becomes their witness and their ministry. Be careful about that. Um, But these guys do. They're unequally yoked now. They've been yoked. They're going to try to come out of it, but they're hooked. They've made their promise. And it happened. At the end of three days, that's all it took. Three days. After they had made the covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Patience, folks. Patience. Don't rush into things. When you got a salesman, I'm going to use, I'm still using car salesman. I'm going to use a realtor today. So Kayla, you're off. You're, you're, you're fine today. I usually pick on car salesmen. Kayla's like, really, dude, I'm trying to make a living over here. You know, um, I'll pick on realtors. You know, I don't know. I don't know this offer. I need to make this offer today. There's a lot of people interested in this house. You need to make that. You know, when you hear that from somebody, sit down on it. That should slow you down to a to screeching halt. Today's the day. I got to go to cars. It's just hard not to avoid the, to, to go to cars. But that's it. Uh, this good. This deal's good today. You walk out that door. This deal's no good. I guess this deal's no good then. I'm not doing it today just because you told me I had to. I was gonna sign. I was gonna buy the car, but you just told me I had to. No, I'm not gonna. As Christians, as Christians, we've got to. You've got to be that way. When some man, when men are pushing you, 
When they're pressing you, I'm leery of that. When men press me, you better do it. Got to do it. Now's the time. No, it's not. If it's not that, here's what you say to the house guy. Here's what you say to the realtor. They built a lot of houses. There's a lot of houses out there. There's a lot of cars. Kim Watson told me that's what his dad told him. Dad, this car, this car. He goes, Kim, they made a lot of cars. There's a lot of cars out there. You know? There's a lot of houses out there. Slow down. If these guys had waited three days, these, these guys had dressed up, couldn't wait three days, they're running their mouth. <laughs> we got them. We're not even from across. The Maybe they knew they were off the hook. And so they were blabbermouths, but took three days is all for the truth to come up. Wait a little bit, sit on it a little bit, and see if the truth doesn't come to the surface. Don't make a rash decision. So they do. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. So they sent these guys back. Uh, they land in their cities. Now the nation of Israel has traveled there. They've come up on Gibeon, Shephra, um, Beeroth, uh, Kirjath, Jerim. And, and a lot of those pronunciations are probably different because they, you know, uh, there's no real J sound in the Israel language. It's, it's Yah, so, and, and so on. So it's probably Yerim and, and so on, and Kiryath. And, anyway, um, that's as close as we can get. He came up on these cities, but the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. It's a victimless crime, right? Nope, you brought everybody along with him. Now, why was God cleansing Canaan? Why was he removing them? Because they were idolaters, because they were horrible, horrible folks. These Gibeonites we're going to discover later on if we get to it, if the Lord tarries in 2 Samuel and 1 Samuel. These guys are the voodoo people. These are the people that call up the dead and they raise it. They're seance people. They're the guys that read poems and look at the crystal balls and do your horoscope and stuff. That's who these folks are, the weirdos, the people that God is trying to evict out of the land and move them. You know, the tarot cards, the Ouija boards, the whole thing. This is that group. And now because the leaders didn't take enough time to wait, seek the Lord, and find out if what they're saying is true, now they're in, well, they're hooked up with these guys. They're staying there. They're going to live amongst them. And the congregation is upset because, hey, we just crossed the Jordan. That was a big step of faith for us. And this is going to cause us harm. They know it. They get that sense. Well, the rulers try to make it better. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. We've got to keep our word. And it's true, they do. I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. They really do. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest the wrath be upon us and because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. We'll make them work for us. We're going to turn this around on them. They tricked us. We're going to make them serve us. It's not going to help. It's not going to help at all. Then Joshua called for them. And he spoke to them saying, these are the guys. Why have you deceived us saying we're from a very far, very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed. And none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, water carriers for the house of God. Um, why did you do this was his question. Now, they've got an answer here, but it's not a good one. Why did you do this to us? They said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Sounds like a legitimate answer, doesn't it? Well, I mean, yeah. What? There's other options. First of all, you could repent. 
I mean, it, honestly, if God was al- allowing the harlot to repent and save her from it in the midst of the conquering, all they had to do was repent their gods. They didn't want to. We still want our gods. The second thing they could have done and kept their gods is to move. The days away. Just pack up your stuff and walk out of there. Just go. They already knew where the boundaries were. They knew where they had to say they were from. They knew that that was outside of God's reach, outside of Israel's reach. All they had to do was pick up their stuff and move there. But we want our land too. I want my land and I want my gods. I don't want to move. I want it my way. It's not a good answer. But that is their answer. Folks, your enemy will try to get you to believe there was no other option. We just had to do this and made a deal with it. Well, I know what God's word says, but be careful. Was the answer too extreme for you? Was God's answer to you too extreme? I want you to utterly destroy. Yeah, but that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we live in the 21st century. We need internet. I want you to utterly destroy it. I know, but how, in the, how are my kids going to do their school? Oh, they're going to get their homework done. You know? And how am I going to do my job interviews? I've got everything online. My resumes are all there. Or, or how are we going to check the weather? We come up with a lot of funny stuff. And I'm picking on that because that's an easy target. He could have told you to do something else. He could have told me to do something else. We will come up with reasons. I'm not going to do... No, I know. I know what we'll do. We'll make the internet work for us. Slaves, we're going to get programs on there that's going to block things and firewalls and passwords. And she's going to have the password. I'm not going to have the password. And, and you come up with all this stuff. And you'll read in God's word and all of a sudden that jumping off the page takes place. Utterly destroy. Really? And we argue. But trust me. Uh, trust God, I guess. Don't trust me. I'm, I'm sneaky. Trust God. When he tells you to destroy something, that is the best way. And, and I don't mean to stick on that. Maybe that's a word from, maybe there's a prophecy right there for somebody. It's like, I've been praying about that. And utterly destroy keeps coming out of your mouth. Shut up, JD. You know, could be, I don't know. But whatever God has told you to do, it is the best way. And it's the only way. It's the only way, whatever that is. So they come up with the reason. Here's what we did. We, we decided to lie to you so that we could stay in our houses and still play with our Ouija boards and stuff. And now here we are in your hands. Do with this as you will. We carry water and wood. That's fine. We're alive. We get to practice divination. And it's great. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. They were going to. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. And so they actually served the temple or the tabernacle at the time. How weird is that? These guys are actually carrying wood and water to the temple or to the tabernacle, the tent, to serve the true and living God while all the time practicing their other stuff that they do. Um, some of the scriptures that we don't have time to go over because we're going to have communion now, but I want to give them to you so you at least have them is uh, the first one is 1 Samuel 28, verses 3 and 9. And what that is, basically, is first 3 is where Saul goes out and is to kill all of these people that practice divination. Take them all out. And in verse 9, not six verses later, he goes out to find anybody that's left that he didn't kill, that was sneaky enough to hide well enough, that didn't die at his hand or by his command, so he can use them 
to call up a prophet for him. Six verses later, okay? Later on, we find out in 2 Samuel 21 that the Gibeonites say that Saul tried to kill all of us. And that's where we put those two together, and that's how we know what these Gibeonites do based off of 1 Samuel 28, 3 and 9. He kills all the soothsayers and the voodoo people. 2 Samuel 21, the Gideons, or the, the Gibeonites say, that's us, basically. So that's how we find that out. I put that in there because this carries on out as a problem for the nation of Israel all the way through Isaiah 8, verse 19. They're still doing it. They're in the middle of them. They should have been cleansed. It's still a problem. Years and years and years later, what was supposed to be utterly destroyed, that was supposed to be prayed about, that was supposed to be paid attention to, and God led them in the right way, because they didn't, it's still a problem 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 generations later. It's still there. And that's where we close today. Guys, if God is speaking to you this morning, that maybe you've never been led by the Spirit, you need to learn that. Ask God to baptize you with His Holy Spirit. It's a real work. It's biblical. Um, it's something that God wants to do for you. I'm going to send the helper to you to lead and guide you into all truth. Without the helper, you have no business and will not understand God's word, to be honest with you. It's his sword. It's the spirit sword. And without the Holy Spirit, you don't get it. You've got to have it to discern. Rightly dividing the word of God comes with the Holy Spirit. He does it. Gifts of the spirit, power to serve and to minister on God's behalf cannot happen without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you do, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it in your own strength. You're doing it. He told them specifically, I breathed on you. You received the Holy Spirit. You're saved, but you need to wait for the baptism before you minister. That's got to come from God or we'll do it wrong. Now, how does this tie into communion? It's kind of a tough segue, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do my best. Jesus died. He says, this is better that I go because if I don't go, the helper will not come to you. It was, it's that tied together. This little meal that we're having, this little cup of juice and this little piece of bread that Christ said, as often as you eat or drink this, you do this in remembrance of me, his death on the cross and what he did for us. Also remember the fruit that came from that, not only our forgiveness and salvation, but the power and the ability to walk the walk that God wants us to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let your intellectual understanding of the Holy Spirit, your memorization of certain scriptures confuse you into thinking that you're walking in the Spirit being obedient to him. That's just knowledge. Ask any believer out there about Jesus and they'll tell you, yeah, I know who Jesus is. I know all about him. But is he your Lord and Savior? Do you have a personal relationship with him? What's that? They've got all the data, but they don't have it in their heart. Likewise with the Holy Spirit. You can have all the data about the work of the Spirit and what he does, what he doesn't do, how he moves and everything. Thank you, Todd. Um, I'm caught. You can have all that data, thank you, and not be walking in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. You're not hearing His voice. The words aren't jumping off the, Bible, off the Bible to you. Things aren't happening. The supernatural thing, I've never been so filled to overflowing that I can't stop crying or that it has to, you know, I've, I've never had that experience. Ask for it. And I can't give it to you. All I can tell you is that it takes place and that it's still for today. And it's for everybody, and it's to happen over and over again, periodically. It's not an everyday thing, thank goodness. You have dry tear ducts your whole life. It's unbelievable when it happens, but when it does, oh man, you'll know it. You'll never wonder if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit ever again 
once it happens, I'm just saying, wait for that and ask for that. And so as we have this cup in our hand and this bread, this is the first step. Now, as believers here, and I know there may be unbelievers here too, this is for both. And so let me take you through this. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. It wasn't. He hadn't been broken yet, but this symbolizes it. And as often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, we can do that. And he picked up the cup. He says, this is the cup of my new covenant. Now they knew the old covenant, but this is the cup of my new covenant. This is a covenant of my blood shed for you. And as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Now it wasn't his blood because he hadn't died yet. It was symbolic. It's to remind us of that. Okay. Now, Paul goes on to say, after that, he had heard that from the Lord, that which I received from the Lord. He describes what I just described to you. He says, make sure you don't eat or drink in an unworthy manner. He talks about that, eating and drinking and dying because you're eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. And a lot of questions about that, and I explain it every time. Some of you know what I'm going to say. But please listen. The unworthy manner is not your sin. The unworthy manner is not how bad a person you are. That's not unworthy. You don't become holy to partake of Christ's righteousness. You partake of Christ's righteousness to become holy. Here's what I mean. The unworthy manner is I know what you just said about Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins. I know that I've separated myself from the Lord because of my sins. I've broken the law. I know that I'm in trouble, but I utterly reject Jesus Christ. I will not have him be Lord over me. That's the unworthy manner. That's when you need to set it down on the ground right now. Don't eat or drink. Now, before you lean over and put it down on the ground, Paul goes on to say, he says, but if you will judge yourself, just judge yourself right now this morning. The law says that we have broken it, whatever that is, adultery, murder, lying, and a bunch of others, seven others actually. You know, God's not first in my life. Um, I've not loved my neighbor as myself. There's a bunch of them. I know that I've broken those things. And those demand a sentence because you're guilty of breaking the law. They must. And so you understand that and you've judged yourself. Now God hasn't. He's brought the law before you and you've taken it and compared it to your life and you realize as you look at the two, they don't line up. You've just judged yourself. I'm breaking the law. Anytime you're going down the highway and you see the speed limit sign for the first time, may not even have to be a police officer there at all or a highway patrolman at all. And you look down and you realize, oh, and you hit the brakes. Ooh, I'm going like 15 over. Boy, it's easy to go. That's what I used to say with my, my grandma had a Cadillac. I said, boy, grandma, it's easy to go 90 in that Cadillac. You know, speeding was 75. It was easy to get up there. You know, it floats like a butterfly, you know. Um, anyway, and you hit your brake. You just judged yourself. You didn't have to get pulled over. You didn't have to get a ticket, but you judged yourself. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hmm, I don't know how I got up there. I was talking, not paying attention. You bring yourself down again. That's it. Judge yourself this morning. Don't wait for God to judge you. Fall upon the rock and you'll be broken for sure. But if you let the rock fall upon you, you'll be crushed. That's his judgment. And so judge yourself this morning. Be a believer today. Believe on Christ for your salvation. Trust in him. Receive that forgiveness that he's wanted to give you. I mean, he's died for the sins of the world. He wants it, you to have it. He's offering it to you. It's up to you to... Take it this morning. Judge yourself and receive that forgiveness from God and it will be unbelievable. Life will never be the same. Your life should never be the same. 
after you're a born-again believer. It should cause you to do a 180. Things are different. Not something you stick in your back pocket. It's life-changing moment. Let that be today. If, if today. if you're not saved, let today be the day of salvation for you. It's a decision you have to make. Nobody can make it for you. Mom and dad can't make it for you. Nobody can make it for you. I can't make it for you. It can't be cast upon you. It's something you have to decide. You and you alone are responsible for your eternity and where you'll spend it. You have to choose. So I pray that you choose today. Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. This morning, a lot of us are believers, and we're reminded, as we're supposed to be, as we have this food, that as we have this little uh, broken piece of bread and this little cup of juice, that we are in the new covenant. It's because of your broken body and because of your shed blood that we are going to heaven. We're reminded of that. And we know that it's better for you to leave so that you can send the helper. And we received that this morning too. Not only our salvation and turning, but how to live down here now with that salvation. By the power of your spirit, to walk in the spirit. Fill us, baptize us with your Holy Spirit this morning. Come upon us even now, Lord. Baptize us. Give us all the gifts necessary to do the ministry that you're going to call us to and have called us to the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, I pray that be very evident in our lives that we are baptized with the Spirit. That there be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control just oozing out of us, God. That's our desire. Lord, for those that didn't know you before they came but want to know you now, pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. There was no other way. I wasn't going to go to heaven. I was destined for hell, and you knew that, but you sent your son Jesus to die for me instead of me, in place of me. You took all of my sin that I committed, and you placed it upon your son Jesus and brought your wrath down on him instead of me, and I thank you that I received that this morning. I received that forgiveness of sins. That's why I thank you for that. Lord, thank you for saving me. I want to give you my life this morning. I don't want to live the way I used to live. I don't want to follow my own dictates of my own heart. God, I want to follow you. I want to be led by you. So God, help me. Help me to say no to my flesh and yes to the Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See. We're going to break our glasses in a minute. If you're visiting us, what we do, we break them. And this to symbolize the fact that we're broken vessels, but I don't want to leave us there today. We are going to break them. There's no way to put them back together. But here's what, the, here's what God does. He comes in and he makes us whole. Amen. There may have been cracks. We may have been broken. But he also restores our soul and fixes and restores what the locust has eaten and fills in those gaps so that we can be whole in that for one reason and one reason only. So we can carry him in us, that we carry Christ with us. We are filled with him. And when people bump into us now, they don't run into me. They run into Jesus. And grace comes out and mercy spills out and there's joy and there's patience with me now because it's Christ in me. No longer I live, but Christ lives in me and that's the idea behind breaking these vessels but remember, we get made whole again. We don't remain broken. He heals us not only from headaches and colds and cancers sometimes but he heals us of our scars and our emotional wounds and all the things that have ever happened to us in our past, all the things, the guilt that we've ever been ridden with because of all the things we've done to other people. God heals us of those things also. So accept that today, all right? One, two, three.